All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the officially unofficial Rings of Power After Party brought to you by Fellowship of Fans and the Watch Party Network. I'm Michael. With me on screen is Jen Gallagher. Together we host the Watch Party Network's Lord of the Rings podcast. And it's good to see you as always. And likewise, super excited about this week. Uh, Also joining us on the screen is the man behind the curtain, Kyle from Fellowship of Fans. Good to see you, Kyle. Great to see you guys. Pay no attention to me. <laughs> oh, I'll be paying attention to you. We've got <laughs> we've got a great show today, though. Uh, as always, we will start with our spoiler-free cinematic panel hosted by Jen and featuring Trisha, screenwriter extraordinaire and member of the Beyond the Screenplay podcast, uh, and also Lottie, host of the Harry Potter podcast Shell Cottage Radio. All members of the first panel are relative newcomers, so um, they'll be looking at newcomers to Tolkien, and so they'll be looking at episode four on its own merits. They'll look at acting, writing, plot, costumes, all that stuff without worrying about the source text. So it's perfect if you are yourself a newbie to Tolkien or also if you want to see the show through fresh eyes. And then we'll have a brief midsection where we give away some prizes and talk about uh, this week's featured artists and thank all the people who help us put this together. Uh, and then we'll get right into our second panel, which is a book lore panel featuring Strider, Lakitia, and Varking Runesong from Fellowship of Fans. And plus our special guest this week is New Better Do Better. So that's going to be really great. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into our first panel, uh, I want to show you the beautiful piece of art that we will be raffling off today. Every week we've been raffling off something from a, a new artist. This was donated to us by uh, Mate K- Kidhill uh, from the Czech Republic, and it's entitled Hobbiton. We're raffling off a 12-inch by 16-inch print that he generously donated. And to enter the raffle, all you have to do is send us a super chat. Anytime during the stream, you know, any panel at any time, and you know, we'll engage with the super chat like we normally would. Uh, but if you know for each dollar that's donated through the super chat, that will be one raffle ticket. So we'll be uh, doing a drawing and picking the winner at the end of the stream. So stay tuned for that. Um, and in addition to raffling off that beautiful piece, uh, Mate gave us a uh, special discount code for all of the everybody who's watching today. So if you go to his Etsy shop and put in the code Fellowship at checkout, you will get a ten percent discount on all the prints in his shop. So we really like supporting artists and Tolkien artists. So uh, Mate is our uh, featured artist this week. Please go support him. He does great stuff. With that, I think we can hand it right off to Jen to kick things off with the newbie panel. All right. Thanks, Michael. So this week, it's just the girls. And I'm very excited to chat with you two ladies. We have Lottie once again from Shell Cottage Radio. Welcome, Lottie. Hello. And welcome back, Trisha Rand from Beyond the Screenplay. Hi, everybody. All right, so I'm going to do a very quick recap of what we saw this week, and then we will get your one-word reactions to episode four of The Rings of Power. So this week, we finally met the big bad Edmar um, after a suspenseful ending in the last episode. Um, we saw Queen Muriel and Galadriel go toe-to-toe a couple times. We also saw Queen Muriel have a change of heart and decide to side with the elves. Uh, we met back up with Bronwyn and Arondir, and they were reunited in this episode. And finally, we checked back in with the dwarves and discovered they've been minding Mithril and got to explore the relationship between Elrond and Durin a little bit more. So, ladies, let's get your one-word reaction to the episode and then talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Lottie, let's start with you. Okay, so my one word, really, for the episode is father fathers everywhere Mm. (laughs) so um really we have muriel's father obviously and then 
Adar or Adar being described as the father of the orcs, kind of. Celebrimbor mentions the connection to Elrond's father. And we have Durin's father, which is big. And Elrond's speech about father and the relationship with a father or his father, which I think is uh, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we also met Kemen for the first time, who um, his father is Farazone, and they have a really interesting dynamic going on, right? Um, you get that dialogue where oh, yeah. Fer- Farazone mentions, oh, well, with, um, cleverness is for weak men, right? I want right. you to be wise. So, so yes, you're, that's, that is such a good point that we just got tons and tons of father-son relationships in this uh, episode. It was pretty juicy. Um, Trisha, what about you? Yeah, Lottie, I love that you keep pulling out uh, thematic uh, <laughs> moments for your one word thing, because um, I, I was thinking about that a lot. But I'm going to go with uh, scattered, I guess. Hmm. I still feel like, so this is episode four. It's an eight episode series. Um, so this, in theory, is the midpoint, or we're coming up on the midpoint of the series. And it still feels like I have ideas about how everything's going to come together but I'm just feeling a lot of unevenness from the storylines where Hmm. I feel like some of them are moving pretty quickly and some of them are moving slowly and then in this episode obviously we didn't see the Harfoots they're not moving at all um at least for us (laughs) presumably they are I guess just walking in their caravan but um yeah I I feel like a really kind of uh, mixed bag in terms of the writing and characters and like where I, I'm feeling myself pushed and pulled and invested in different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it can be a challenge with this many storylines to make sure exactly. that each one is going to be given an equal amount of momentum and, and emphasize the right parts of it. Um, so let's let's go plot line by plot line. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the reveal of Adar and the scene where he's talking with the elf Arondir. Um and for for both fans and non-fans, this was a big reveal that Adar is an elf, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's got those pointy elf ears. So this was a big reveal for everybody, I think. And I'm curious to hear, um, Trisha, we'll start with you, what you thought of that storyline this week. Honestly, that storyline wasn't doing a lot for me in the last episode or two. And it really picked up this week. Uh, I really loved mm-hmm. the introduction of Adar and thought the performance from that actor was great. I thought his look was great. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have a, some gravitas and menace to him. And, you know, I knew he was going to kill that orc who was dying. Um, but I I think there was a lot of nuance to the way that that was done. It mm-hmm. wasn't exactly a surprise, but I was like, I kind of, there's dimensionality here. But at the same time, you know, I'm pretty sure that's Sauron. And so it's kind of cool to see this as an origin point for him um i mean the show is trying to tell me that that will be sauron i guess and so i'm just gonna go with that until i know any better um but yeah i really liked it i liked his conversation with uh Aaron Deer, and i think especially where all of that goes um you know, as they get back to the watchtower and the refugees that are hiding out there. I thought all of that really picked up for me and there's a lot of intrigue and I'm I'm feeling more invested in that storyline than I was. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. The, what we saw there with that tender stroking of the orc and the way that they yeah. revere this guy, that's different than anything we've seen, like in any of the Jackson films, right? Like we've seen the orcs humanized a little bit. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting that this character was once an elf or is still an elf and have um, him conversing with a Rondir and them finding commonality and, oh, I've been to that river that you've been to. I grew Mm -hmm. up, you know, maybe similarly to you. Um, So also, you know, humanizing the big bad villain, if indeed he is Sauron, we we will see, is also... (laughs) Is also really interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. But- and it helps that they all look, I mean, they all look amazing. Like, mm, I just have yes. such appreciation for the the makeup and costuming, um, especially, I mean, mm-hmm. throughout the show. But, mm-hmm. I mean, these orcs look as good or better than everything in the original trilogy. And I'm just, they look fantastic. And uh, Adar looks, fa- it just looks great. It's all very tactile and has so much um yeah, just sort of texture, and it seems and like they're scary. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's yeah. really good, really good. Yeah, Lottie, what did, what did you think? It's so funny because I thought um, I was going to ask you. We agree it's probably not Sauron, right? Because it feels like the story. Like I agree with you, Trisha. The storyline it's trying to tell us: oh, this is right. probably Sauron. This is what we're supposed to think. And even his last words, something about oh, he's not yet a god. Or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. Says, Sorry, that was... I rolled my eyes at that line a little bit. He's like, I'm not a god, at least. Not yeah. Yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but I I also agree that I really enjoyed his appearance and the, how the storyline of that, of the characters in the Southlands picked up um, with him. And I feel like the costumes or the the way they make him look reminds me so much of the transition that Gollum right makes like he used to be a different creature and then he gets like pale his eyes get bigger he's scarred his hair kind of looks you know it kind of fades fades away and he he's possessed by something evil and and I feel like with um Adar or is it Adar or Adar sometimes I hear both I've Um, said both as well (laughs) he yeah he gives me the same vibes even though he's mm-hmm. a, he feels like a, a, a higher creature because he he's an elf or used to be. We don't really know, um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting that we see someone who's and what I'm super in, um, like interested to hear is what lies is he talking about? I'm so into yeah. that. What's the big thing here? He says everybody is being told lies and we need a different world. And he says, I believe, something about. Um, the, the lies they run so deep that even the rocks and the roots believe them and they make you feel of like the rocks the dwarves and the roots the the elves and you know like it yeah it's very intriguing to to see what he's he's talking about here i love yeah. that parallel with Gollum. um i didn't even think that didn't even occur to me but that's such a good point we get we're witnessing the transformation of a once you know wholesome creature into something much darker and you see this yeah the scarring on his face and as you said trisha i think his aesthetics are really really perfect it's like not too much but it's just right this mix of light and dark within him and i think they also portrayed that really well in the scene where he's kneeling and he's mostly in darkness but there's bits of light peeking through mm-hmm. um so i already think this villain has a lot of color to him and a lot of 
um, layers. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to them peeling back those layers. And to Lottie's point earlier, I think it's kind of cool and beautiful that the orcs call him like father mm-hmm. because I feel like a villain that I'm really tired of seeing is one where everybody cowers and they're afraid of him and mm. he just like cartoonishly murders his own people and they're just so scared of him all the time. But there's a tenderness there, you know, as I touched on before. And the orcs respect him, but there's something more than that, right? They, There is like a kinship or like a familial mm-hmm. bond almost that's being expressed and explored. And that's not something we see as often as like a James Bond style supervillain. Yeah, he very was co- true. He was definitely com- the uh, orc that was dying. He was definitely comforted by by his presence. He's right, like, oh, Adar's here. Yeah, that's right. And even Arondir, we um, there's a scene where he's holding a weapon. Right, he's holding a rock, and he, yeah. he has the opportunity to kill him, and he doesn't. And I'm curious to hear what you guys thought, what your reaction was to that scene, why you think he didn't go ahead with it. Arondir was holding the weapon or? Yes, um, he was holding a rock and he had every opportunity to kill Adar and he decided not to. Or at least attack, uh, you know, at least attack him. Um, I think to me, I read that as being kind of layered. It's obviously a strategic move. He could have attacked Adar, but he's still in a hole full of orcs. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's that like, do I need to immediately defend my life? which that was my interpretation of like, I'm going to pick up a weapon in case I need to immediately defend my life. But when it becomes obvious that he's going to be released to deliver a message, he's like, well, I'm going to get out of this live if I do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of one layer on which I read it. But, you know, you get the other layer of whatever Adar is saying is landing to an extent. There's a curiosity there. And and perhaps about the lies that you mentioned, um, when we are told that systems that we have bought into are, you know, faulty or based upon, you know, lies or um, propaganda, corruption, whatever it is, then there's a natural curiosity of like, well, what if that's true? Um, Mm -hmm. What if there's whatever it is that I believe in, um, if you don't reject outright that there might be something rotten at the core of that, then there is a natural curiosity to hear what the other side has to say. Um, And I think that that's also like smart writing to introduce that idea because that's what we as fans have been like taught, right? We've been Mm -hmm. taught one version of the history of middle earth and we haven't been taught the other side. Um, You know, I always say that history is written by the winners, the owners, and those who have power. And the losers in history, their their stories are told for them or forgotten. And so it's interesting that we as audience members have been told a history by the winners. And I'm now feeling a curiosity if whether or not that's all of it's true. Um, Mm. And I'm sure that I would love it if this show introduced some complexity to the ideas of good and evil that have otherwise been presented in the lore. Um, I'm sure that there have been elves and humans that behaved very badly. <laughs> oh, most um, definitely there have. And and so far there hasn't been that complexity being introduced. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what light that character brings onto some of the harms that have probably been caused down the centuries by the races that we have been taught are the good races. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see what impact this has on Arondir, right? Because he he does go back, right, and warn everyone. He saves um, he saves Theo from the orcs in the process, and we see him reunited with Bronwyn, and he seems very solidly in the good guy camp, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be interesting if the show decided to explore what impact a powerful elf who is corrupted has upon another elf who we see right now as a hero, but that would be a very good twist. Um, yeah. And I, I really enjoyed, I'm not sure about you two, but while we're on Arondir's storyline, I really enjoyed the scene where he's rescued Theo. He's running through the forest and he does some cool elven tricks, grabbing <laughs> the arrow, sending it back. Um, and breaking out into the light where the orcs can't follow. A lot of people thought there was like way too much slow-mo in this scene. Um, I personally really, really liked it. I thought it was a very cool cinematic moment um, with the song, with the singing and all that. But I'm, I'm curious oh. to hear you yeah. too, what you thought. Um, I agree, 100%. The scenes even leading up to that moment when Theo is making his escape from his old ho- uh, hometown right that's like a is it a one shot i feel like it was like a one there's shot a long one like in there going from yeah oh it's one... like documentary style yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, I, there's a longish water in there yeah i love that i love that and then we think oh he's almost safe but then the one orc just grabs him and he has to wrestle his way free and um then the that awesome moment when they get out in the open and this sun comes out. i know it's like kind of I get where people are like, oh, it's it's a lot of slow mo, but I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the muffled, um, the voices and everything, and it helps me to like see everything that's happening. So, but when we get out in the open, and then the sun rises, and we start hearing that song, that voice, Disa's voice, yeah. And then I think that's so brilliantly done. How yeah. we see then the mountains. And then we go to Disa, and she, it, it's her who's singing. Yeah, like you said, I, I just enjoy that so much. It's probably one of my favorite moments. Yeah. I thought it was the best moment of this episode. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think the aesthetic choices of how that sequence was shot, I am fine with um, and generally think work really well. And they were very cinematic. I had a logical question about it okay. where I was like, why doesn't Aaron Deer just say he has a message from Adar? Like, <laughs> like, he I literally was just there with you guys Adar let me go I'm just like I don't know I guess you kind of can't stop and say that to orcs and they still want the hilts and they still want Theo and all of that stuff so it's like I get that there's a thing there but I was like he literally just got away from a bunch of orcs because Adar let him go to deliver a message the orcs Mm -hmm. might know that or he could tell them I don't know um but that's a little bit of a nitpick logical situation that does (laughs) undercut the cinematic emotionality of that moment which Mm -hmm. I do agree was there yeah I think the problem that I had with um sort of the reuniting of Bronwyn and the elf Arondir was that they their relationship has been sort of secretive up to this point and there's a scene with them both on the tower like right out in the open when he does deliver the message from Adar you know he's gonna like all of you need to abandon these, forsake these lands. Um, and they, they sort of caress their hands and they're just talking very intimately together. And that didn't 
sit quite right with me because it's supposed to be a relationship that's forbidden. It's pretty much unwraps. So that scene, yeah, I had a lot of questions about that scene. Um, but yeah. I still am very much enjoying Bronwyn on screen. I think she is really great. We've got more of Theo's character this this episode. Um, the, the angsty adolescent who, you know, wants to be helpful, goes to find food, is attacked by the orcs. That actually really worked for me this time. Um, whereas I felt like his angry adolescence has been way overplayed in p- previous episodes. Mm-hmm. I really liked that he was more helpful this time. I feel like the moment when they get, you know, they seemingly are more comfortable with touching each other in the public i feel like um yeah they just escaped the orcs i feel like they're almost like we don't care anymore it it's Mm. we have to get away anyway we're we might all you know die or we don't know how long how far we're gonna make it from here and it's almost like the time we have left or we're just gonna be open about it (laughs) yolo in other words yes (laughs) a couple things about bronwyn Number one is that I wish they would give her sleeves. It seems somewhat chilly where she is. Everybody else has sleeves or shawls or things on their shoulders. Um, anyway, just everyone else is like a little more bundled. I don't know how cold it is there. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's, there's some costuming inconsistency there. I hadn't uh, even noticed that, but that's a good, that's a really good observation. She does look different from everyone else. Like maybe they're trying to make her look see her shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, anyway, seems chilly. But uh, my thought, my my one thing is that I hope that with a romance that is unspoken, but obviously mutual, right? Mm-hmm. I There comes a point where it needs to be directly addressed between the characters, especially because Aaron Deere has already said something about it. Like he kind of hinted mm-hmm. at the whole thing earlier. Yeah. And then there's obviously mutual attraction. No, neither one of them is going to deny it at this point. So I'm hoping in the next episode, mm-hmm. one of them can be like, it kind of just gets talked about and put to rest, probably in like a, obviously there are feelings here. Obviously this is complicated, but it can't happen because X, Y, and Z. Um, it would result in, what are the stakes of the relationship is really what I want to know. Mm-hmm. What would it result in if this did happen and if it was publicly known, right? Uh, Bronwyn yeah. would be exiled from her community, maybe, or that could happen for Arondir. Um, or Theo would never accept it because he, you know, still has whatever his dad. Who is Theo's dad? No one knows. But I, there just needs to be a concrete reason why mm-hmm. they can't be together to help us understand the stakes yeah. of what's going on between them and what could it cost them right. if they don't do something about it. Right. So I'm going to say something that I think is non-spoilery because it's so prevalent in the Jackson film. So I'm going to go here for a second, um, even though this is a spoiler-free panel. So the issue with elf-men relationships is that elves are immortal. So inevitably, one will die, the mortal will die, and the elf will linger in, in sadness and sorrow. Um, presumably without their partner. And that is one aspect of, that is one complicated aspect of elf and um, human relationships. And that's also a tension, supposed to be a tension for the citizens of Numenor, is that elves have immortality. um, And they do not. 
Um, I'm saying this and making it plain because I don't think the showrunners have made it's it plain. It's not. No. So, right, like you, yeah, that's been my issue is I've wondered, have people been confused by this this tension that exists between humans and elves? Um, the, at the crux of it, at the heart of it, is immortality. And that's very mm. obvious in the books and very obvious, I think, even in the Jackson films. Make that very plain. Um, I don't think it's perfectly clear in this series. Um, and Trisha, or, or sorry, Lottie, maybe you can tell me. Uh, I know you have a little bit of knowledge um, about the lore, but you know, I'm wondering if, if for you that also was very unclear. Um, I've got the vibes from. So I'm not sure about. I don't know a lot about Elrond's history, but he's half elf, half men, right? So he is. He's still immortal, or is that something we haven't found out yet? He is. Um, he's. I am so sorry. Elrond. Oh, Elrond. Elrond. Oh, don't be sorry. This is. <laughs> you know, this is the whole point of the panel. Um, Elrond is chose to be an elf, so he is in fact. Oh, okay. Immortal. See that I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, so he is an elf, but he. Mm -hmm. I. I got something out of there that they are immortal. They are these perfect beings that the. Well, the humans are kind of jealous of that. They, mm -hmm. when, yeah. um, I forget his name, who says, look at my cows. Therizone? Uh, yes. Yeah. Look, what did he say? Look at my um, hands. Yeah. He like, swears by the calluses on his hands. My blisters, yeah. the calluses, yes. And he's mm -hmm. like, this is, we are the people. We are, we don't get, you know, down if uh, one elf comes in and he, uh, that elf cannot take that away from us and we're proud of who we are even though before that mm -hmm. we hear that mm -hmm. they they kind of it, it's it comes it seems like to come from a place of jealousy to me that they want to have right. that immortality and yeah right okay so that did come across to you so let's get into Numenor let's get into the Numenorean storyline um, because, you know, this week a lot happened in Numenor. I think for me, the standout scenes were seeing Galadriel and Muriel kind of go at each other, go toe to toe. I enjoyed those scenes. Um, and I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about the scene where Galadriel arrives in Muriel's bedchamber, looks into the Palantiri and sees the future of Numenor or what we think is the future of Numenor. Yeah, um, I knowing that uh, one of those seeing stones, uh, I'm familiar with it as an object from having seen the original trilogy, mm -hmm. and so there were a couple of um, there were a couple of Easter egg objects that popped up in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, one being the seeing stone, and then one being the uh, mithril. Um, and I was like, I know what those things are, uh, kind of at least, sort of, um, and it, it felt. Like like a lot of Easter eggy stuff in this mm -hmm. kind of show, um, Star Wars deals with this a lot too. It feels like, hey, folks, here's an object you have seen before. You can um, latch onto. You get right. it. <laughs> and I'm I'm not gonna say that that's a bad thing, right? There's this sense of familiarity that the writers are trading on that can be really helpful, mm -hmm. um, especially for somebody like me where I'm like, oh, I kind of remember that thing. But at the same time, it also does feel like I'm being, um, I don't know that I needed the scene of Galadriel actually seeing it hmm. uh, herself for her to believe that there was a prophecy about it. 
um, about her coming there and then the sequence of events that are going to lead to the end of Numenor. Um, so I think it's, I thought it was fine. It was highly visual. I thought it was cool to see that object pop up again. Um, narratively, it, I don't know if we are absolutely positively needed it. So I felt like I was being a little bit, um, I don't know, I guess baited is not the right word, but like, you know, as a, as someone who's seen the things, I felt like I was being spoon fed or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Uh, pandered to maybe, hmm. um, of like, here's a thing, you know, maybe you like it. Do you like it? <laughs> Here it is anyway. Um, so yeah, but it was fine. I mean, it, and it is a very cool, magical object. Uh, the thing that I, I always bristle at though, is like the Star Warsy like solo kind of thing where they feel like they have to explain how every single object or every single like line or joke or anything like ended up in the original trilogy. And I don't want to see this show go that direction where they have to tie up every single thing. Like I had a question about it when I definitely didn't have a question about it. Like I, I don't really <laughs> you don't care to... where the palantir came from. No, I don't. I don't need to know where it came from. I like, it's totally fine. It appears in that, uh, you know, tower in, in the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm like, yeah, that's probably where that magical object would be. Uh, I don't even meanwhile know super fans are like yeah <laughs> well we sure and I, <laughs> right and I think that we don't have to talk about it right now but it's an interesting um job that mm. the screen that the screenwriters are dealing with where they're they're they have fans with a wide variety of knowledge or lack of knowledge right um and that's a tough place to be because you have to you have to assume they know nothing but also you have to deal with the reality that plenty of people know a lot mm. and everywhere in between. And so when you're doing expository work as a writer, that's a really tricky place to be. Mm. Um, and it's hard to do. And exposition uh, is best when it's done visually. So if, you know, we have the dream, um, Muriel has the dream at the beginning. Um, if we had seen her looking into the seeing stone when she saw that, I think that would have been a great use of it. Um, and then we could have used some shorthand later when she reveals to Galadriel that she has it. Um, saving the reveal, I don't have a problem with it necessarily. I just think it's a, a little bit of a tightrope. Um, and it definitely can rub fans who know more the wrong way. And fans who know less, maybe they wish there was more exposition. It's just a tough place to be in. A very tough place. And I think... Um... Some people were confused by Muriel's change of heart, deciding, okay, we're going to send an army to Middle-earth. People are wondering, how did she arrive there so quickly? How did, what was her thought process behind that? Because politically, it's not a smart move, right? Right. She divulged all that information in the interaction with Galadriel that her father had wanted to return to the ways of the elves, had wanted to, you know, go back to the old ways and make friends, repair the relationship, and that he had a revolt on his hands, so they can't. But we went from that to her suddenly deciding, okay, change of course, we're going to we're going to do it, Caladrio. We're going to send an army. Um, so, <laughs> Lottie, I'm wondering um, what your take on was all of that, all of that that happened in the in the latter half of the episode. Yeah, so I had a problem with the fact that they still did not, or I still don't know why exactly the Numenorians turned away from the elves. I still have so many questions mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. And like you said, it, might, it feels like in this particular storyline, story it feels like fast like you know it's a fast pace and for me the the 
big wave, the great wave came out of nothing. And I mean, she had to have a reason why she wanted her so, gone so badly. And we thought it's just a general problem they have with the elves right now. And then we figure out it's something different. And well, I, I guess like the, the petals that come down, that's mm -hmm. what, that's what causes the change. The tears her, right? of the Valar. Yeah, so almost saying it's not a good thing that you let, that, that that you send her back to the elves. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt, and that's what because mm -hmm. she she's she wants to be, you know, aligned with the gods and and listen to what they have to say. That's what it seems like. Yes, and that's yeah. definitely what they were trying to achieve. Yeah, certainly with that scene where the petals are falling. I thought that scene was really. I thought that moment was really beautiful. Yes. Um. But politically, I think it's clear that this will have some big ramifications. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I still don't really understand. So her father, he's sick or something, or he's dying. And then he, all of a sudden, he opens his eyes. So I'm, I don't know what that was for. Is it supposed to tell us something that he has a connection there? Or Yeah. So um, it left more questions than that it, that it gave me any answers, really, for, for me. More questions than answers. Yeah, I think a lot of the storylines um, are just ending on cliffhangers right now. I'm hoping that the show will do a little more explaining with the relationship between elves and men in Numenor because it's very complicated. There's a lot of history, but the books spell it out really beautifully. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it here. <laughs> um, but absolutely, you know, at the end of the season. Uh, we'll have an unpacking episode where we kind of dig into these these themes more. Um, so I want to get to, we touched on um, most of the major things. Before we run out of time, I want to to the dwarves of Cause of Doom. So we finally got to see Mithril um, in its original form. And we got a lot on the relationship between Elrond and Durin and Durin and his father. Um, so I personally was enjoying seeing more of the Dwarven culture, more of Visa, and more of that friendship unfold. Um, it's very different than the Legolas Gimli friendship that we saw from, from um, the Jackson original trilogy. Um, so are you guys enjoying that storyline? And are there any questions that you have at this point after seeing this episode about the relationship between Elrond and Durin? Yeah, I really do enjoy that. Um, since there were no Harfets in this episode, and those are my favorites, uh, I would say that probably uh, Durin and Disa are my other favorite characters right now. Um, and overall, I really did like it. I like that the friendship, as you point out, um, Jen, the friendship between Durin and Elrond is really different than the, the dwarf and elf friendship we have seen before. Most of the time, I feel like sometimes it still falls back into like that friendly bickering um, or like one-upsmanship that we got um, from from Gimli and, and Legolas in the original uh, trilogy, especially that scene where he's like, well, how did you meet my husband? Well, I saved him from two trolls. Well, actually, it was three <laughs> trolls and I saved him. And I was yeah. like, that seems like a Gimli-Legolas exchange that's somehow now in this friendship. Um but overall, I, I think it's really working. My, my issue with it, if I have one, is I think I know where it's going, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, there's, uh, there's that scene where the, there's the, 
big reveal of the Mithril and, you know, Durin makes Elrond swear on the mountain that the he is not going to tell a living soul about it ever, which I was like, don't swear that if you don't know what it is, you dummy. Um, <laughs> right. But okay. Like I get it, I guess. Um, and, and then it's just like, we discovered a new ore. Okay. Um, and then there's of course the moment that, uh, is sort of cinematically signaling to us that perhaps this is a, an evil or too powerful metal, um, that Elrond is holding because there's a, that shot where it's sort of from a low angle and he's holding the thing and it's like, Oh, it's the one ring vibes, um, mm -hmm. coming out. And he's like, tries to give it back to Durin and Durin's like, you keep it. And then he puts it in his pocket in the most suspicious way possible. Um, it's also a callback putting yep. it in the pocket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of get where it's going. The show is telling me pretty clearly where it's all going. Like there's going to be a betrayal between the elves and the dwarves. They're going to, they're going to forge the rings. They're they're going to build the tower and forge the rings and there's going to be a betrayal. And then there'll be all the bad blood that we get from the between elves and dwarves later on. Um, and it makes me sad knowing that that's coming down the pipeline because I do like Elrond and Durin together. Um, but I don't, I'm wondering what the shock and surprise twist is going to be because the show doesn't seem interested in surprising me, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will. <laughs> okay so i um i didn't actually catch on on the fact that mithril is really gonna be the stone or the the um object that the rings or all of that is forged of um but i enjoyed i really enjoyed the scenes with the dwarfs and i just want to really quick uh say that disa is phenomenal for me phenomenal. she is she's amazing she, kills i love her look i love i love again the singing and then the mm -hmm. uh, how powerful it is her voice holy yeah guacamole yeah absolutely um and i think so first of all last the last the first two episodes where elrond comes in and durin always says well you just come you you, you want something you don't just show up here to come here and, and see how i'm doing you really just want something. And Elrond says, no, that's not the case. And even in this episode, he's like, he he takes that oath. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, he sounds so sincere, but actually he did come for something. He didn't just want to check on his friend. He really came for something that Celebrimbor kind of gave him a task, right? Or, or something he has to figure out. And he says, I can help you with that. And he goes to the dwarves and it feels like he's just building right now a relationship to get what he wants, even though he seems very sincere in the friendship. So that is a little contrast for me that I'm not, I still don't know where it's going to go. And I'm like Trisha, I'm really hoping it's not going to come to that where elves and dwarves, but I, I guess it will be because it's the drama that we're going to see um, my yeah my question for elrond just based on watching the show is why aren't you a little more curious about this project that you've been commissioned to work on why yeah. aren't you a little more curious about why kellen brimborn needs this forge True. yesterday he needs it by spring it's urgent why is it so urgent what does he need it for none of these questions have been mm -hmm. asked or answered 
by Elrond. Yet Mm -hmm. he's going to the dwarves and asking for all these things. And meanwhile, there's this tension in his friendship. And we've seen it, you know, it's, it's constantly Durin questioning his loyalty and him sort of having to reassure him constantly. So I, I think definitely it's headed for trouble. Um, but I am hoping that Elrond gets a little bit more curious um, about why he's doing what he's doing. Why has he been put to these tasks? Um, so final thoughts, final, yes, off to our panel two, our wonderful panel two. I want to get predictions from you two midway through the season. So any predictions about any characters um, that we've covered or not covered in our conversation? Uh, we didn't quite get to Isildur, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be more to that. So predictions for, for the future. We'll start with you, Lottie. That's funny. I think will happen. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Isildur because I wrote his name down because I feel like he's going to be pretty, pretty important because he keeps hearing those voices. You know, he's called to something different. And now Mm -hmm. Galadriel and Muriel are finally making their way to Middle Earth and he's going to join them. And I'm so excited to see what he, what role he's going to play on that. And and I think he's going to be pretty important. I, I thought he was going to join Galadriel when they were um, looking for her in the city and he hears that and he jumps up and I thought now's the time when the sealed door joins Galadriel and they're going to get an army or something. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm really excited for that. And I feel like we have mm-hmm. not really got gotten anything if, if they take Halbrunt with them or not. So I don't know if he's going to escape on his own and join them he's later. He's a big or... question mark. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I went back and rewatched the prologue of Fellowship. So I know a little bit about what happens to Isildur. Um, and he uh, he is important. Can verify. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the thing that I was just looking for this time uh, was some of the Galadriel writing issues that I, uh, that yes. I had last time. And there at least, I do want to say, there was a moment in this episode where Halbrand was like, hey, you're not getting the thing you want. Maybe you should change your tactics. And she was mm-hmm. like, maybe I should. Um, a little which, self-reflectiveness. A little bit. It's still not the soul-searching I'm hoping for because she still doesn't seem to deeply care about the consequences. She's mad that it's not getting her what she wants, which is something. And, like, she took a moment to take a different tactic, kind of, by fighting, escaping, and going directly to the king, and then talking to Muriel again. Um, That's kind of a different tactic, but it's still not quite the, like, inner conflict that I'm hoping for of, like, maybe my way of doing things actually isn't the right way, but it it is planting, I guess, some kind of seed for maybe a change or some kind of arc. So I was relieved to at least have that moment. And they have, of course, that moment with Halbrand where he tells Farazan where she's going Mm -hmm. and then, or it's implied that he does that. Mm -hmm. And then she shows up in the tower and her first question is, how did you know I was here? And then Muriel's (laughs) like, I'm going to ignore that and say something else. Um, But I was like, okay, well, Galadriel at some point is going to realize that Halbrand told Farazan and she's going to be mad at Halbrand for doing that. Well, thank you so much, both of you. This is a joy, as always, um, to chat with you midway through. Uh, we've got 
four more episodes left can't wait and with that we're going to send it to michael and he's gonna do some quick announcements and then we'll get to our exciting panel two the lore panel so they're going deep 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 into this episode deep into the lore and we have some exciting special guests on the panel this week so thank you both and we'll see you next time thank you jen bye bye, bye.